Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Peacock Streaming, the biggest live events from Super Bowl 56 to complete coverage of the Winter Olympics. It's all the unbelievable sports to love. Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. We are live. There we go. Yeah, no, I have noticed you, you've you really started to engineer a, a penchant for uh, singing singing interjections into the start of the film. I don't know whether you're trying to launch a side hustle. You know, are we going to see you on like America? It will be American Idol as well because you're living out there. So in a couple of years and uh, you <laughs> definitely know, you... <laughs> definitely not you know what it is today though johnny it's the first unveiling of the roll neck jumper the first time this year someone said oi oi steve jobs they didn't nice. say it like that they're american they don't say stuff like that steve you jobs should... my god you look like steve jobs <laughs> and uh but yeah it feels good i feel sophisticated uh elegant and creative when i wear an outfit like this do you feel like you might be getting involved in, you know, uh, poetry, that kind of poetry recitals from now on instead of Arsenal games? You know what I seek in my late 30s? To be intellectually intimidating. And you yes. can do that with a roll neck. You don't even need to say anything. People just know. Don't challenge this guy in a meeting. He knows what he's talking about. So I was. I, 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 it's much easier to dress in all black all year because people don't know that you're wearing the same clothes every day. So... The black roll neck is an essential if you don't like doing laundry. So um, I'm glad that everybody on the pod can see that right now. No, yeah, what, no, what, what's, what's the comedian attire? What do you wear as a comedian to show that you're hilarious? Um, do you know what? Like uh, when I when I started out, um, I remember a comedian, um, Gary Delaney. His name is. He's really great. If you haven't seen him before, so check him out. It's hilarious. And he gave me some advice because I was remember. I remember I was probably appearing quite nerveless in a, a nervous, I should say, in a jongler's um, green room pre-gig. And he gave me loads of advice. And one of the things he said is, always dress smart, dress in a shirt and tie, because basically you're giving the audience a free one if you come in looking like a skank. Basically, you know, you walk on stage, oi, fucking lay about and stuff like that. You know, they, they can get you straight away. I've never really had that issue anyway. He said, to be fair, judging by your style... You might not need the suit and tie, but he's like, I wouldn't risk it myself, you know. Um, but for me, I've just always rolled in with mostly what I'm comfortable with. I've done gigs in my in my flip flops and shorts, you know. In summer, I'm not I'm not asked. Yeah, yeah, you got got to stamp your authority by strutting on to that stage with flip flops on. Like I don't give a shit, okay? <laughs> I'm it, just chilled. But as, well, you do need that that drama when you're watching a comedian. It, when somebody rolls in with flip flops, you're like, "Yeah, it's got to be funny." There's no <laughs> yeah. way this guy's not funny. That—that's exactly it. This is what I'm saying. For me, I'm not going through the effort of going, "Oh, no, I need a shirt and tie to justify it." No, I'll back myself. So yeah, I will come in looking like I'm just rolling out off the beach. Do you know what I mean? And uh, then yeah, the heat is on, but you got to. De- 
And it might be a theme of the pod today, but when you get your opportunities and you put yourself out there like that, you got to deliver. You know, if you wear flashy boots on a football field, you better have some. You better have some ability, son, because at the end of the day, you're drawing attention. My brother used to buy really nice football boots with his, you know, McDonald's wages back in the day, and I used to wear them. And I used to, I, I wore a pair of chrome mercurials, and my mates were like, "You are not good enough to wear <laughs> chrome mercurials." And I would go out on the pitch, play like an absolute donkey. And they say it's just, just go and get yourself a nice pair of of dark boots, like no drama because you are not good enough to wear them. So I agree. But we are rambling, Johnny. Why don't we go live? Mirror man, mirror man. You twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am. Mirror man. Good morning and welcome to an On The Whistle podcast. We are in a Carling Cup special, Caribou Cup special, English League Cup special, but I'm joined by Johnny, who couldn't make it at the weekend because he was too busy gigging. Johnny, it's fantastic to have you back. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good, to be fair. Um, yeah, time away spent for the day job, which is, well, the night job, evidently. Uh, gigging um, stand-up comedy, and it was a lovely gig, so well done. Turns out I've still got it. Um, that must <laughs> you know, in, in case anyone questioned it, I've still got it, still <laughs> delivered. Smiles on faces, laughter. There was an applause break at one point, but, um, you know, applause what do you break. do? Are people, are people laughing harder post-pandemic? Um, you know, they're, they're more keen to laugh. I certainly would say that. I don't know if they always are uh, laughing harder. I honestly find it so funny because there's lots of people learning how to behave again in public. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah. the, the, the social cues and the etiquette have, are, are things that I think, you know, we all assumed as, as humans who've been living in this society for a long time that there are some things you just know they are almost innate because we've not done anything differently. And then when you lock people in their houses for 18 months, suddenly they're like, how do I sit with people in the same room? And can I laugh now? It's weird. You could see them always having to compute this stuff out loud. But yeah, no, I think overall there's a real positive vibe around people being able to be out again and being, you know, social company and, and just enjoying that. So it is it is nice when it goes well. Well, I'm glad that you had a good show. I'm glad that you got a round of applause. The question is, will you get a round of applause for your opinions today? Johnny, let's just (laughs) steam right in to the hottest of takes. Right. So, um, first of all, there are obviously um, massive positives to take away from tonight's game. Um, And I think that one of the things that we will discuss throughout the pod is kind of the significance of the EFL in terms of Arsenal's season this year. When we're out of Europe, obviously, it has to take on more importance because, for me, it actually has to be as taken with as much um, focus um, as the FA Cup this year. And that is because it's the most winnable competition that we're in. Obviously, the league has to be our number one focus full stop. And it's um, absolutely imperative that we have a really strong league season this year. But in terms of a cup... Look, not only are we already heading into the quarterfinals, so we're only a few games away from being it, well, a couple of games away from being in the final and then anything can happen. Um, you know, the reality is, is that a number of teams, if you get them early, field weakened teams, and there's ways to bumble through. So 
And I think that Arsenal, previously when we used to play in Europe, used to take this competition, well, obviously everyone knows that we used to bed our youngsters in, but also in crunch games in this competition, we used to often, sometimes we'd play our full-strength team, but we usually play a hybrid of drizzling in a few top players and really it's shall we trust the kids? Whereas this year, there's not really any excuse. I, I like the team today. I thought it was more than enough to beat Leeds and uh, Arteta was proven right with that. Um, being able to get that important victory at home. However, there might be games coming up when we're playing against, you know, the likes of City who still remain in this competition where you've just got to go for broke and you have to put every, you know, starting player out there. And I think Arteta is geared up to do that. So fair play to the man. Um, what I want to kind of move it on to, and again, I do think that um, there should be more conversation around what an EFL Cup might win, win might do for Arsenal in this current climate. But also, you know, there are positives and negatives. And and in recent times, I have been, I wouldn't say quick to criticise the manager, but I have criticised the manager because what some people choose to focus on is they constantly say, I believe the players bear more responsibility. They're the ones who go out. Even like the great Nigel Winterburn was on the on the podcast. If you haven't listened to that, do it now. Check it out. Wonderful Special podcast. after this. Yeah. Uh out Legrove exclusive with Nigel. Um, but he says there's more there's more responsibility on the players. They cross the line. They it's up to them to deliver. And what I've had a problem with that, uh specifically in over the you know, in the last few months, is that when you see a number of players constantly not reaching the required level, um, you know, the lack of intensity, uh, lack of con- concentration, looking confused, that's when I think it's fair to blame the manager because it's repeatable. It's not just one person having a bad game. It seems like an overall confusion which has to come down from leadership. However, when you look at a game like today, this is a game where I think it is perfectly appropriate to blame the players who have not been able to step up to the mark in a setting like this. And that that I, I've said all that to say this. Pepe and Martinelli, I thought, were very, very disappointing today. I really looked at this lineup and I thought, these are the guys that I really want to see get a bit between their teeth and prove a point. Because one of the things that we've struggled with for quite some time now is that strength in depth. When your first team are not delivering, who is knocking on the door going, come on, give me a game, give me a game. That's why the form of Tavares was so promising recently. But ultimately, Martinelli, who I used to strongly back, is now pumping out more shit than good. Let's be honest about things. I think he, do, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not as convinced anymore that he is going to have enough about him to, you know, make the jump into being a very important player for us. And... As frustrating as he can be, one of the things that he always gives you is work rate. Whereas Pepe, for instance, does deliver more um, on, you know, at times he can produce those. He even got an assist today somehow. It's just that's the that's what he does. But he's so frustrating. And sometimes he looks like he just he doesn't learn from mistakes of the past. So I thought that overall, from Arsenal's perspective, fantastic result. Um, it, it's another, you know, feather in the cap of Arteta. The the run, can, the unbeaten run continues, and the confidence around the club continues. So that's great to see. We move to Leicester with our towels up, and hopefully we can get another great result. But what I would like to see in these games are players who are not necessarily be in favour at the moment, laying down a marker and saying, "I want to be in contention on the weekend to get a starting berth because I can do some damage." And unfortunately. 
a few players showed that, if anything, they're not in the team for good reason. Extensive hot take. Fire take. Molten lava take. <laughs> yeah, I, Johnny, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on pretty much every single point there. This is going to be a boring podcast if we just agree on everything. I think the... The exciting take for me was just keeping momentum going. James from The Athletic, ex-Gunner blog from The Athletic, said, Arteta said last year that the project would bang at a certain point, but projects don't bang. There's never a starting point where everything just goes from average to amazing. It's a, it's a bit of a slow burn. And, you know, the famous Christmas table that somebody other than me uh, promoted for a long time was... Uh, It it was a slow fizz of just grinding out results. Since the international break, it hasn't been fabulous football every game, but it's been resilient. Um, You've started to see uh, better patterns. Arsenal are now shooting on average 14.6 times a game. That, That would have had us fifth. No, that would have had us third most in the league last year. So if we maintain that level, we're at Chelsea levels of of attempts on goal, which is a massive, massive uptick from Arteta's first season when I think we were 15th in the league. Um, We're starting to score more goals, which is great. And I, I, I have a slightly different spin on your negative. I actually thought that it was a positive that quite a few of the players that came in showed exactly why we upgraded in certain positions this summer and why that was the correct position. Uh, that, that was the correct take. Like Pepe has been given lots of chances now. We can't keep on saying, oh, it's Arteta. It's the system. He's, he doesn't do the basics right. He's got, um, he's the, he's that amazing kid uh, five aside that can pull off a moment where they go around every player on the pitch, but can't do the basics right. And um, Pepe's too old and experienced to still be messing up the fundamentals. I thought, it was quite clear why Moel Nenny is a squad player. I mean, not that we didn't know it before, but there's a huge difference between uh, him and Sambi Lekonga. That's a positive for me. And also in the fullback position, you know, there's, there, was a, there were a group of players in the team today that showed that they don't have the ambition of passing to play in this system. Rob Holding, bless him, copying Benny Blanco with a surging run, but he's, you know, he, he can't match. He can't match what Gabriel does. Uh, Cedric Suarez, like very efficient professional, but he's he's no Tommy Asu. So I thought the, the the vindication today was we had a good summer and we upgraded in the positions. There's still a there's still a way to go to really push things forward. And um, I was disappointed with Martinelli. I don't know where that fire has gone. You know, he's just lacking confidence. But hopefully that will come back. But it does sort of quell the desire for people to see him in the starting eleven. He's not in the starting eleven at the moment because he's not as good as what you know as the players that we've got out on the pitch. And this, I, I love, I love to see Eddie playing at the moment. You know, I, I do think he looks focused. It was amazing that he nearly missed that open goal, and I thought that he fluffed the easiest chance of the season so far. But it's good for him to get on the score sheet. It's just a shame that we're in such a weird situation with his contract to start with because. He's further ahead than Balogun, but Balogun is the chosen one. But Balogun is obviously off the pace a bit and probably needs a loan to a to a championship club. So overall, great to get the win. Uh, we rode a bit of luck. I thought, you know, Leeds aren't as sharp in the final third as they as they usually are. But we ended the game strong. 
a two goal win against the BL society is, is always a positive. So um, unless you've got recourse on me agreeing with you, um, I wanted to move on to the, the we've covered a lot of topics because uh, in your first bit, but let's talk about Ben White uh, because a lot of people questioned uh, Ben White. I think uh, was, is Ben White worth 50 million pounds? When you call him Benny Blanco, it, it, it feels he feels like a fifty million pound player. If you look at him as Benny Blanco, he's a fifty million pound player. I thought that Benny uh, Benjamin White. I thought he had a, a really good game tonight, and he started to grow into the role a little bit more. Those surging runs are impossible to defend against. Really, he just he, like two or three times tonight. He just he just breaks the lines, and he ends up fifty yards down the pitch. His range of passing is great. He's much more dominant in the air than we originally suspected. Johnny, I want to know um, what your feelings are towards um, Ben White so far, because you, you missed the, the weekend's uh, post as well. Um, so, first of all, I didn't even know who Benny Blanco was when you said it. And fair play to fair play to you. I like it a lot. Yeah. I like it a hell it's of good, a lot. Right? Yeah, Benny Blanco. All right, he is a bit naughty as well. Now, <laughs> I think that for all the players that we have seen come in so far you know this kind of ties into what we were just saying about you know you've you've looked at it as a positive that we've reinforced in those areas that we've needed and the players today who've underperformed have shown that they weren't good enough so we've and, and I, I agree with all that I think it was a good point um but I think that one of the one of the things that's happening at the moment to kind of double down on the positivity around these um summer incomings is that they're all having these kind of moments of uh, and I say moments I'm talking about periods if you like of two or three games where they're showcasing everything that that individual player is bringing to the party now Ramsdale's had a number of games not only has his intensity and his passion been infectious and he genuinely is shouting we've needed a vocal goalkeeper for so long and he is getting involved and he's helping organize and when it steps into the big moments. You need to make big saves. He's been doing it, and I'm and I'm in on the guy. I like him a lot. And even do you see when that goal went in, and he was there. He's in the mixer again. He's giving it, and it's and I tell you what, that's my goalkeeper. That's what I want to see. I, I, I'll look if anyone needs to needs me to say it anymore. I'll hold my hands up with Ramsdale. Absolutely excellent. Now we've also seen that with regards to Tommy Asso, who came in like a like a firework. Put Love in him. Intensive performances, and everyone was like, "You know what? It's an antidote to what we've been seeing for all this time of Hector Bellerin." We love Hector. You know, I, I've got nothing but you know praise for the guy. I think overall he's been a great servant, but it it just reached time just and it stale. got stale. It got stale. Whereas Tommy Asu's energy is infectious as well, and we've added two players that are bringing that drive, and it, and it has helped shape a new defence for us now. Because those players had had their moments in the sum with such clearly visible dominant performances, they slightly not not to, not not in a derogatory way, but they slightly took away from the shine that Ben White was um, maybe having in his first settling in games because it wasn't as standout as those two um, new incomings. However, over the last few games, I think he's been the standout player for us, and it largely comes to what you're talking about. 
not only is he, um, for me, I think he's a decent defender. He's not he's not bulletproof at the moment, but, you know, he's no, settling in. He's only 23 and, or 24. And he's a young player. He does make odd mistakes, but it's not like glaring mistakes. It's sometimes he doesn't, you know, always get close enough to the man. He stands off a little bit and we can get punished. I think uh, Crystal Palace, uh, their uh, Edouard goal was an example of that, as well as um, Leeds had a chance in the first half where he kind of got lost a bit from Rodrigo. But, you know, these are things where you would absolutely accept a defender of his age and in his first in his first year at the club. You know, these are the teething parts. But what he does add, and he has immediately started adding it, is this bringing the ball out of defence. And what it does for a team, when you're, when you're struggling to get dynamism from your attacking player sometimes, some cohesion, when you've got a defender who's so comfortable bringing the ball out, this is one of the reasons why I was so keen on seeing Saliba, by the way, at Arsenal. And, I, you know, that's another story, but I hope that he will come back. Um, it means that it forces the opposition's midfield to make a decision. There's a defender who's coming in. It's not just like, oh, right, this guy's like got a nosebleed, like Colo Toure used to get sometimes, and he's getting a bit lost. And you're like, yeah. go on, then, what, what are you going to do? Here, Colo? <laughs> Maybe a 50-yard strike again. All right, and we loved it, and we cheered, and we loved Colo, but... Ben White looks like a guy who can dribble round players. He can pick a pass. He's a good player. He looks like he could play midfield. He really does. And it draws the opposition midfield out, forcing them to make a decision. They have to send someone, which, you know, just by weight of mathematics means that someone gets free. And the more that our players get used to that happening, because what I was so refreshed by Ben White when he does burst out into the, into the opposition midfield, it's not just a run for run's sake. He almost always picks the right pass or he finds feet or he does something dangerous. And I honestly think that he has looked like our, for me, at least joint standout player over the last few games. I've been really impressed with what he's done. It's a shame about this in, this injury and I hope it's just a minimal one. I haven't heard yet. But um, really, really impressive uh, performances recently from Benny Blanco and hopefully more to come from the guy. Yeah, it's... It, it... It felt like a weird signing, I, and you know what? Like, I, I don't really—I'm not really too fussed about being skeptical about. I wasn't as skeptical, to be honest, but I'm not really. I, I don't think anybody should be not embarrassed, but no one should be apologising for being skeptical about our summer transfer window because we all saw what happened the the, the window before. Like, all of a sudden, Arteta and Edu's talent ID went from a zero to a ten. Yeah, and no, nobody expected it. So I think, you know, that is fair. But Ben White has—he's uh, got that. The thing that's dangerous about Ben White is it's very difficult to strategize how to play against him. If you close him down really quickly, he can run past you. Um, if you cut off his angles, he can go over you. He can go short. He can do one-touch passing. So he's—he's he's unpredictable. And we haven't had unpredictability at centre back for a good reason in in a in a long time. So I'm I'm really excited to see how he develops. I really hope that he hasn't picked up a, an injury in what is it's not a meaningless game, but it's not as important as Leicester at the weekend. Do, but, do you know what I would say on that, Pete? Sorry, and, and go straight on afterwards. But um, you know, I, I I thought about that the moment he went down about oh, you know, is this an important game? I think it is. I'm fine with him. Like, if he has to get injured in this game, yeah. we simply do not. We're not in enough competitions to take to take this 
competition lightly. Someone had to play. We needed some first-team players out there because Leeds basically put out a full-strength team. We, we, we are not in a position where we can take our foot off the gas in the EFL Cup and yeah. play kids. We just can't do it. So it's a shame he got injured, but if it happens, then it's just like getting injured in a league game. We should be going for all of these competitions now. And, he, and in fairness to the coaching staff, ben, Benjamin White is historically extremely robust. You know, when Leeds were losing players left, right and centre in his first championship season there, he played like 36 of 38 games. I think he played 36 of 38 games last season. So he's a robust player. It's not often that he gets injured. But I I love I love the opportunity that, that he gives us in defence. And I love how well he complements Gabriel, who's also been one of our, our star players this season. You know, starting to show more leadership, um, aggressive, good passer of the ball. Not as uh, not as Hollywood as Ben White, but you, you don't want two Hollywood players in there. You, you know, you need people that have um, alternate uh, strengths. And Gabrielle is much more physical and much better in the air, um, and I would say probably much more aggressive. And Ben White is pretty good in the air, but he's 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 your he's your register in in central defence. So I, I'm I'm excited where we go, and I'm also you know let's let's talk about William Saliba because William Saliba is also our centre-back. He had a, a promising game against Paris Saint-Germain at the weekend. He's out there on loan, proving that he can do it in high-level games now. He's getting into team of the weeks, team of the months. He's going to make it very difficult for Arteta to choose Pablo Marie or Rob Holding next season, right? Well, I mean, so so my issue with Arteta's handling of uh, you know Saliba has been <clears throat> long vaunted. I, I've said this for a long a long time. I've not I've not enjoyed it the way he's handled it. But you have spoken in a way where you're a bit more confident that there will be a positive resolution of this situation. My my worry, I, to be clear, was that we would burn our bridges so much early on when you're not being given a squad having your squad number taken away not being asked to go go out alone when you've got Mari and, and um, Kolasinac playing centre-half against big teams early in the season. I thought that might be kind of more, more significant in the relationship uh, um, and ultimately Saliba would never come back. But, uh, you know, he, he looks like he's having a, a strong breakout season again out in France. Um, yep. you, the, the game you're talking about, I mean... <laughs> Who do you want to prove yourself against? Mbappe and Lionel Messi. And there is there is a moment where, you know, because the French commentators in, in commentary were going absolutely bonkers when Mbappe got played through on goal. We know about Kylian Mbappe. We know that he doubles up as the flash from the DT-verse. Um, and Saliba got back. Obviously, he's not as quick as him. He didn't outrun him. Not far off, back. though. Not yeah, far he off, got right. back enough to make a, you know, a, probably a goal-saving challenge on a guy like Mbappe. No one gets back at Mbappe. That's what we're talking about. You're talking about a guy who is being able to show that at least physically, he is more than ready to go. He's elite. He is quick, powerful, very good on the ball. When we talk about and we give rightfully um, Ben White his flowers for being such a good ball carrier and being able to start those attacks for Arsenal. Yep. Saliba can do all that. We can see he's great on the ball. And I really hope, because I've not heard anything lately about more dissension from him, I hope that the 
the um the the bridges haven't been burned with him and I and I really hope as well that there are those conversations being had people on the phone going we're getting very impressed with what you're doing this is what we always wanted for you keep playing very well your future's at Arsenal next season you know there's no question you'll be vying for a starting berth if not starting all the time um and if that is the case and Saliba does come back. I think we're going to be in very, very good shape defensively yeah. because the other two are looking better and better as, as time goes on. It, it seems to me like they may even... Well, the fact that Ben White played, people might see this differently. It's not that big a deal. But for me, I think the fact that Ben White played and Gabriel didn't might suggest in a way that Thomas Partey, Aubameyang didn't start today, that Gabriel is actually considered our number one Centre half and Ben White is. Um... I I think that it is more likely that Pablo Marie is seen as more of a car crash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but what I mean is, if you had to play one of them, like if you have to play, just like Smith Rowe played today, obviously he's yeah. a starting player. But I mean, if you were going to risk one of them getting injured, I think they would uh, maybe say we'd rather Ben White go down than Gabriel at the moment, just because of. Well, from what you were saying as well, as much as I've been impressed with Ben White's ability to come out with the ball and stuff, the passion that um, and, you know, just overall power and um, uh, ability to enforce himself on the game that Gabriel's shown in recent weeks has been really, really impressive. And he looks ready to go this year. Uh, yeah. And maybe it was it was a bit of a lull brought about by the COVID issue last year rather than anything else. So... It's getting much, much better at, at centre-half for us um, at the moment when you look at it. And that can only be a positive thing for Arsenal. Yeah. Um, on the on the Saliba point, I think he'll be back next season. I mean, listen, Ainsley was out the door and then there was a massive blow-up at the club. They had that 15 days or whatever. And now Ainsley is back in contention starting games. If he can forgive Ainsley, who flipped his car... This summer, he can he can he's not, he doesn't need to forgive Saliba. He just needs to give him a chance. And also, I I, I honestly think the 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 way that Rob Holding and Pablo Marie played in those early games this season showed Arteta. Look, you need to you need to give chances to young players. And I think if you said to Saliba, you know, where where do you want to go? Like there aren't many teams in the Premier League that are going to have him starting games. He's probably better off at the club with the youngest team in the league if he wants chances. And hopefully Arteta sees what we'll see and has him back next season because you're you're in an interesting situation where your four centre-backs next season could be Ben White, Gabriel, Daniel Ballard and William Saliba. That is a very, that, you know, that's a, that's a centre-back group for a decade if they all come good. So I think it's, I think it's exciting times and I, you know, Every time Saliba has a bad game, it's a win for Arsenal. Every time he has a great game, it's a win for Arsenal. Let him make his mistakes this season, cut his teeth. Then he has a year playing back up to, to Ben White, uh, uh, like almost a year like Gabriel had last season. And then the year after, he's what, 22, 23 years old? And he's one of the brightest players in Europe. And he's in our, he's in our centre-back group. So I think it's exciting times. And also, just as a little quick update, because we've got... Awesome people watching the show. Uh, Martin O'Connor. Where are you, Martin? Arteta interviewed post-match saying a few of the lads, including Marie, have a bug. Not COVID-related. And Ben White didn't feel great in the second half. So that's why he was taken off. Oh, Ben. 
He's got yeah. a dicky stomach. Arsene Wenger's got uh, given over his lasagna recipe, hasn't he? Eh? Well, mean... that, that's good to know, though, right? I'm glad that it wasn't a... Because he took that knock to his knee, and I was a little bit worried about that. So uh, thank you for that, Martin O'Connor, giving us the uh, giving us the big update. And just, um, just before we leave here, the Saliba comment... Uh, Redchem80 says Saliba's only got two years on his deal. Yes, he only has two years on his deal. Um, I think we've I think we've seen that Arteta and Edu, if they're good at anything, it's making sure the young players sign on to new deals. William Saliba is a Arsenal posters on the wall kind of guy. If you give him a way back at Arsenal, he will want to play for Arsenal. It's London, it's prestige, it's young players. You're going to get a chance. If he's good enough and he's offered a new deal... Like, don't underestimate the power of the Arsenal brand. I, I honestly think that we're still a hot club to play for, oh. and being put out on loan to the south of France could be worse. Could be. I think worse. I think you're a bit too, a bit overconfident with that situation. We'll see how it goes. Um, but I don't think you know the way you're the way you're even talking. Like, he's going to come back next year, play under Sadie's Ben White. This guy's ready to go. <laughs> like, as in, don't get me wrong, he's making mistakes. But if we're bulletproof and we've done really well in the league, we might have the strength in our position to say, listen, we're doing really well. We'd like you to come in and su- supplement that, you know, success with what you can bring. But if we're not doing great, he's not been treated greatly by the club so far. I'm sure, unlike so many of our players that haven't worked out and we're struggling to get suitors, there will absolutely be people ready to bite our hands off for Saliba, not least a new team in the Premier League with loads of money ready to burn. And he'd be just the kind of player you'd want to invest in, you know, for good money. But, uh, you know, I think we need to take it seriously now and start putting some spec on his name. Come on, Johnny. You, you've been to Newcastle. I you've have. been to Newcastle. Yeah, like, who is going to go... I mean, loads of players are going to go to Newcastle. But, like, if you don't, <laughs> if you don't, if you don't know English and you go to Newcastle to learn, there's a whole... There's a whole different <laughs> level of dialect that you've got to adapt to up there. God God bless any player that goes to Newcastle expecting to learn that language fast. I don't even know what they're saying. My, and listen, I, 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 I'm not being regionalist here. My granddad was from Sunderland and the people in his local area in East Ham used to think he was Polish because nobody understood a fucking word he was saying. And that's how I feel um, going up to Newcastle. You're like, what is going on? What are you doing to my ears? Is this even English? Yeah, I, I know. Maybe with the two hundred grand a week contract he gets offered, he might be able to afford some uh, Geordie uh, <laughs> uh, lessons. Who knows? Yeah. But um, say, are we the lads? Are <laughs> the lads? <laughs> That's all he'd need to do. That That's is it. Is. But um, yeah, you know, overall, we'll see. It, I think it's really important we secure a future with Saliba. I hope the bridges aren't burned. We'll have to wait and see on that one. Okay, next next topic's not about players, Johnny. It's about the fans. I think the fans this season have been excellent. I don't know whether you saw Arteta. He did like a sort of secondary interview uh, the day after the Villa win. And he's, you know, back to it, you know, he's pumping all the players. He's talking about the different Aubameyang and Lacazette that are in the side this season uh, but he also really spoke a little bit in depth about the fans. And he basically echoed some of the things we've been saying on this podcast, that uh, you've got a lot of young players at Arsenal and they feed off of the fans. And the more confident they are, because they're being cheered by the fans, the quicker their development's going to be. And 
if I, I don't know whether again it's the the post COVID thing where people are re reimagining how they do things, but I feel like the fans have just been electric in almost every game this season. It sounds like there is an atmosphere over Emirates. And listen, I'm all the way over in America. I might be selectively trying to hear things that don't exist. What's your take on uh, on fan engagement in in the stadium? No, it de- it definitely um, it definitely has picked up. And you know, uh, speaking to the guys who've been to the games recently, and and my mates and whatnot, and they are saying that yeah, it, it has it does feel like there's a more positive vibe in and around the stadium. Um, a lot of the fans are starting to buy in a little bit more because they, in the, you know, in terms of their judgment, they're seeing progress one way or another. And I think that, you know, I strongly, strongly stand against when the fans get called into question with regards to, oh, you're not, you're not enthusiastic enough. You're not getting stuck in. You're not, at the end of the day, it's up to the team to give the fans reason to get behind them. There's no fans that are in the stadium like when we score goals, going, no, I can't be bothered to cheer. But if you never score goals or if you don't play well, it's just the fans have to carry you home all the time. And there is a place for that. I, I do I do think that's the case. You know, when you're at home specifically, you can G up the team. But at, over a prolonged period, the team need to start delivering to give the fans encouragement for what's happening. And they will naturally get behind um, the players. And I do think that's starting to come through in drips and drabs now, where... You know, we're we're going to make it harder to come and play at the Emirates again. For too for too long, we've had, you know, teams that are not fit to lace up our boots coming to the Emirates and, and getting all the goodies. Sure. You know, yeah. they're taking the piss. And and long has it been since the Emirates or Highbury before that was a fortress. It's it's it felt obviously one of the things that's happened that we have to kind of contextualises under COVID when everyone was playing without fans. Well, ultimately it's not a big deal with it. When people are coming to our ground, we've got no fans there. So if you're playing poor, you know, we, I think um, it's been discussed that a record amount of teams got away wins last year because there weren't, there wasn't the same intimidating atmosphere of going away. But so, you know, we've got fans re-ingratiating themselves with the idea of going to football again. And I think, that as the team starts to deliver better results now, you will find the fans regaining their enthusiasm and their voice and and making it a bit more hostile for other teams and a bit more of a, um, you know, offering a bit more of a bounce to our players and our squad when, when they're playing at home to be able to get them over the line in those tight games. So, yeah, it's never the fans' fault when when they've been um, a little flat for me. For me, it's a, a, a years and years of decline that they've seen, and they're you know they're, they're just big, the apathy word that we kept talking about. But I feel like we might be seeing um, at least a, a lot of the fans starting to buy in a bit more to what's going on, whether or not we can ultimately continue what has clearly been a positive run in recent times remains to be seen because I do think that <laughs> I, I'm not going to knock people for being positive. I, I, I think there is a bit more positive positivity around the club at the moment and rightly so. But I do think some people might at this stage be getting carried away because we're in still in that zone where 
we are a couple of bad results away from being back where we were, just as well as a couple of good results gets us into the top four right now. Um, literally in the table, I mean. Um, so we've got to keep this run going. If you want characters like me who remain a bit sceptical to be even more, you know, encouraged by what they see, we need to we need to get a result against Leicester. Like, well, at least not get beat. We need to get some more wins ahead of that Liverpool game so we can start feeling like, you know what? Overall, we have really picked up now and that will be um, reflected in the fans in the stadium losing their shit, getting fully behind the team and, again, making our home games much more of a uh, tough place for other teams to come and play. I, th- I think part of the part of the job of... Edu and Arteta is to create a project that fans can get behind. And it's interesting that fans like young players. They just like young players up and down the country. And Arsenal went, Arsenal couldn't really buy the elite. So they ended up going down this sort of mercenary strategy over the last four years. And a mercenary strategy, you only like mercenaries if they do the job, right? Otherwise, you've just paid someone to do a bad job. And I feel like we paid a lot of people to do a very bad job. And they were quite happy that they were doing a bad job. But in fact, they they kind of reveled in it. And I'm thinking about Ozil, particularly towards the end of his tenure, kind of reveled in the fact that he was annoying everybody. So I like the fact that we've got um, young players. I like the fact that there's a clear strategy at the club that everybody can get behind. And when fans like the players... And they can, and they feel like they've been brought into a project a little bit. They react in a, in a different way. Like I, I genuinely think every single player that we sign this summer is a character. Every single like you, you had a you know furious. You and Matt had a furious reaction this summer about how Ainsley was treated. And I think Matt said, "You don't treat a hell ender like that. You just don't." And that's that's you know you you feel protective over a younger squad of players, and when you see them giving it their all, sometimes it's not going to go well. And you know you've got to stand by those players. So I do love the things are starting to things have pivoted in the stadium this year, and I hope it continues. I don't think it can be. I, I think actually what you were saying is well, you know, two results are in the same place we were before. Yeah, we're not in a crisis. We lose two games. It is not actually a crisis. And I think that that's what every, everybody's learning. Arsenal were bottom of the league after the first three games. And United, everybody was celebrating Ronaldo going back as a masterstroke. And now we're on exactly the same points as them. So things can change quickly. But I think what we what we need on Saturday, because Leicester are a great team. Like they, they absolutely destroyed United, which I appreciate might not be that difficult this season. And then you watch them against Brentford. They were absolutely awful. Majority of the game, Brentford battered them. And then they just shithoused them. It was it was dirty. It was filthy. And they did it to us last season. Like, Brendan Rodgers is a great coach. You know, he'd do, he'd do better at United than um, Ollie. So the thing that we want at the weekend is a performance. I want to see us play some of the football that we were playing against Leeds tonight. I want to see us playing like we were against Aston Villa. Because then if you lose 1-0 or you lose 2-0, there's a little bit of glory in the way that you played and you're still continuing the path of performances. Because what we've learned at Arsenal is people don't care about the results. People do care about the results. But um, people care more about performances because performances give you hope. 
a one nil win where you just scrape it with three shots doesn't give you hope. But now we're now we're averaging in the top five uh, attempts on goal. You can start to see that there's progress at Arsenal. You can start to see these younger players um, growing up in a team really fast. And I actually think that Arteta is on board with you. I'm asking for forgiveness for things that haven't happened. But Arteta said, he said, look, we've got we've got the youngest team in the Premier League. He said, but that doesn't matter. He said, the project is now. Um, the difference between Palace and Villa is we changed what was going on in the now. We tweaked it and it was better. And we've got to get better. And the expectations are now. And that's the way that we're thinking about it. And, and I like it. And I hope that we can continue it because it's an early game at the weekend. Leicester is a sharp team. Madison is scoring goals again. Patson Dacca might start. We all know that he's a fan favourite. We were all looking at him when he was um, with the RB franchise. So it's it's a big test at the weekend. And it will tell us... doesn't doesn't tell us everything, but it tells us whether we can sustain a bit of momentum. That will be the ninth game if we if we don't get beaten there and nine games unbeaten. And that's that's a positive. I I, I actually agree with pretty much everything you've said there. Because uh, I agree, it is about the performance. And that's that's um one of the biggest things that I've had issue with over recent times because the nature of what we're seeing at the moment, the results are going up and down. And I can't, this little hokey-cokey that we're doing, and, you know, we do it on this pod, and it's a representative of how Arsenal fans are reflecting on Arteta's stewardship at the moment. Because we lose a game, and it's like, see, it's all falling apart. I knew this was going to happen. Then we win a game, and you've got other people going, look, everything's fine. These ideas are coming through. And neither is probably exactly where we are. There's still a lot of unknowns to be... Um, there's a lot of football to be played and and we'll learn more. But what I can't tolerate is, you know, the results will go the way they're going to go. If you if, if people want to call that it's a young team and people will make mistakes, I can buy in to a certain extent. At the very least, we, a lot of our most important players are all new signings. So there will be some mistakes and some bedding, uh, a bedding in period. But to feel so far away from those positive results after, say, a, resu- a, a performance like that against Crystal Palace. It's like, are we making progress if this is the kind of performance we've been pumping out? So if we lose to Leicester and we actually look dangerous and it's a 3-2, we score a couple of goals, and I can buy into something like that because, like you say, Leicester are no mugs anyway. It's difficult to get goals there, but... Coming out and looking like we've got no coherency going forward, no one really knows what we're doing, mistakes at the back, these kinds of things happening. For me, then it's just one step forward, two steps backwards. And then all of this positive, apart from, you know, good results today, but it's Leeds at home, it's the EFL Cup. If we get knocked out next round, it's going to mean nothing. So I think we really need to keep this momentum going if we are going to keep this positivity around. Because one of my biggest question marks is... Is this what we're resigned to? Just being a completely erratic team where we go up and down throughout the season? Because that won't lead to anywhere near where we need to find ourselves, which is where we, we want to be pushing for that, those top four places. All the other teams have, outside of the big three um, this year, all of the other teams have issues. They will all struggle with consistency. And we, having a manager out of the chasing pack, minus Leicester, who's been here the longest now and should have his ideas really bedding in. I think we should have be having a sustained charge. And if we dilly-dally back and forth throughout the league and end up in eighth place, you're going to hear me loud and clear again banging banging the drum of questioning Arteta because 
we should be moving forward. And I want they, those performances, even if the results don't match them, I want them coming at a much more regular interval now for me to keep this enthusiasm that I currently feel. Yeah, but we are, despite erratic form, three points, three points from top four, six points from top three. Uh, not bad considering you know we've got Chelsea out the way. Like the, I, I think the, I think the telling games, the games that I'm really excited about are I'm excited about the United game because you know they're a, they're a great team. That like it, it does, everybody's saying the. They're terrible because they got beaten five 0 by Liverpool. Like honestly, they got they got so much quality in there. That's a real toin cost, uh, uh, coin, coin cost, coin cost, coin cost, coin, coin um, <laughs> of a game. Then um, Leicester, I think, is uh, you know th- th- Leicester are right at the level. Like there's there's five there's five teams chasing that 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 fourth position this season, and Leicester are right in the mix. Very well organized team, but you know we we played well against them three times. Last season, I think we played them. Yeah, we played them in the cup. Um, we comprehensively spanked them um, away from home. They were very lucky in the home game, but they, you know, they they are they they set a high standard. If you can turn them over, fantastic. Yeah. And then I am really really interested in the Liverpool game because yeah. we have not not many teams can compete with Liverpool. Let's be honest; they're a they're a top three team in the world, but we have. We we have only been able to shithouse them. We have not been able to create a lot of chances yeah. against them. And with the team more bedded in, can we show the ability to compete a little bit more? Can we compete a bit harder? Can we can we nick a draw? Can we can we go? Can this team shithouse? I take a shithouse against yeah. Liverpool. I don't want to see us trying to open Liverpool up because we saw what happened when United did that at the weekend. So. How how far have we progressed? Because I want to like January first. I'm going to be in the stadium for the Manchester City game, and I don't want to see us get rolled. I want to see some. I want to see. Uh, I want to see progress. Where is this young team going? Because if we're going to go down, let's go down. Um, having a pop at them, asking questions of them, and doing something interesting tactically. So I think we've got an exciting batch of games coming up. This phase of the season, phase four, we've still got an opportunity to come away with. 10 points from 12. And if we beat Leicester, there's a good chance that we do take 10 points from 12 and that will be a successful phase. And then we go into November, which isn't always our favourite month, let's be honest. Yeah, I agree with everything you said there. And and that, for me, is an appropriate you know, yardstick to judge the team against. Because all I'm saying is trying to temper, you know... At the moment, we're reaching for conclusions off the back of each game... And that's why we're just veering from one side to the other. And it's kind of like, let's talk about it over a period of games. Because don't get me wrong, I, you know, I've been guilty of this. Of course I have after certain games. But part of it come, my biggest frustration or concern was about whether we could string those performances together. If we were to beat Leicester away, it would be the biggest result this season. It'd be bigger than the Spurs one. I know we got to celebrate that Spurs one, and that might have been more significant in terms of momentum shift. But this would be a real kind of um, defining result for this team and this project, if you like. This would, for me, look like a real step forward because if we want to get where we want to get, beating Leicester away is the kind of results to get you over that line. That's it. Those are the guys you're going to be competing against. And and I agree with you when I'm talk- we're talking about Le- uh, Liverpool. 
I don't want to see us get enrolled. And I don't want to just see us just, you know, trying to park the bus and get a result either. I want to see us being able to... Oh, I think you most, know, team, most teams have to park the bus against Liverpool. It's no, no, but I'm, I'm not... Diego not, Simeone would not be opening up against Liverpool, let me tell you. No, but what I mean is, you know, even if we go in with a counter-attack strategy, I want to carry a potency on the on the break. You know, I want to see a way where we could, even if we don't get a result against them, we have a, an idea of how we might in future with more cohesion or slightly better personnel. That's the kind of thing. I, w- I want to be reminded that we can play against the big boys and hold our own and have a potential um, solution to success in the future. That would be one one of the things what I'm looking for over the next couple of months where I would really start to feel like, oh, maybe we have turned a corner when I wasn't sure it was going to happen. Here's what, here's what I think we need against Liverpool. We cannot go to Liverpool and play uh, like we did against Aston Villa because we will get rolled. What I would like to see is us stick to our guiding principles. I don't want to see us lobbing balls into their defence and, and waves. I want to like, play through the press. Yeah. Can we play through the press against the, you know, there are three teams that press really well in the Premier League, City, Brighton and Liverpool. Do we have the confidence to play through a Liverpool press where you know one mistake and you get what happened to United at the weekend? But how many how many of Liverpool and Manchester City's goals? I mean, Manchester City's goals against Brighton at the weekend, I think they won 4-1. Which is, it, it, Brighton lost all of their confidence and tried to play through the back and kept making mistakes. That's what happens. But that's the test. Ben White, how close are you to being a £50 million defender? Can, what, what, is Ben White going to have the guts to, to run through Liverpool's press like that? I hope so. I hope so. I mean, let's be, he's got to be sensible about it. But I think what tends to happen in these big games is we we stop playing to our guiding principles. We stop playing out the back and it becomes turgid because we don't have any ideas. And I think, you know, I think Arteta says, you know, when our game changes to a transition game, we can't play it. Uh, so what are we, what, what what's going to be up the sleeve? What's the tactical twist? Because Diego Simeone always has one. You're like, what's he yeah. doing here? It seems dull but he's got you know he's got one player playing an awkward position and he's hounding somebody like Arteta is closer sometimes tactically to what Diego Simeone does when he's trying to lock up shop it's got to have it's got to have a plan it can't be going up to Liverpool and rolling over like we did we didn't really roll over against Manchester City we had a good plan for them but you know Granite Jacker happened but it'll be it's going to be interesting against the top teams but really the games against the top four challenges uh, are coming up, and like, we've got to, we've got to deliver something. And I think we can. I honestly think we. I think we've got the players if we don't get any injuries, and we've got more time to more time to rest than everybody else. So we've got to be utilizing that freshness, right? Yeah, but you know, to to um, kind of offer up the other side of it, <clears throat> we are playing against a direct rival on the weekend, and if we were to get banged up by Leicester, and they're a good team. You know, don't get me wrong, they're more than capable of knocking teams about on their day. But if we were to get banged up, there's going to be that feeling of, you know what, actually, Aston Villa aren't really the team that we are looking to be up against. They're not going to be hitting top four. Leicester will be. And I don't want to see us getting rolled there. Of course, it's going to be hard to get a result. But that is 
the biggest measuring stick against Adder. So we do need a massive performance and we can't really be getting beaten by them, I don't think. we, Especially at the moment, they're confident, but we're confident. We're not going to go there much more confident, you know, over the next season than what we're going there, you know, the last few seasons, I should say, than what we're going there now. We're on a bit of a lift. Everyone seems like, or he's certainly certainly trying to suggest that we've turned a corner. And I, I want to see that continue. Um, I did want to just turn it to a, a couple of players, because I talked about him at the start. Um, but I want to focus a little bit on Pepe as well, Pete. Now, th- there, there's something... I know that we can, um, you know, talk at times from our positions, and we can slag players off. And, and obviously, every time we slag a player off, it has to be done so through the prism of, of course, they're, you know, a, a professional player. So they obviously have talent and Pepe clearly has talent for that matter. Yeah. But I actually want to offer some, you know, what I believe um, he genuinely needs some advice into his game to help him start to move through some of the quagmire that he finds himself in. And it's very simple, but I think it's quite key for Pepe. He has to develop his right foot. He has to. Because one of Pepe's biggest issues now is that he's so intensely predictable with what he does. Every single person knows what he's going to do. Now, he's not the first player who has been a left-dominated football player, a left-foot-dominated. Look at Robin Van Persie, particularly in the early days. Everything used to always be that cut in on the left, bend it into the top corner. And, of course, you can be successful as a player when you're very one-footed. But what Van Persie did when he started to move to um, a, a much higher level, and I'm not even, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much not sure, actually, that Pepe has the same abilities of Robin Van Persie. Oh, my word. You know, different, ke- different kettles of fish. But in terms of, you know, technique and being able to strike a ball, there's no question that Pepe is very talented with that. But... What Van Persie did, one of the ways that he switched to get to his next level and eventually developed to being a world-class striker, was he developed a threat on his right foot. And it doesn't mean that every time he faces a defender up, he's got to go on his right foot. But in a game, you've got to show him another option. Just even if it doesn't work out, run to the byline and put something across the box with your right foot. Run to the you know to the near post, try and shoot. And, and, and nick the goalkeeper at his near post. It might not work out, but show the defender something else because you cannot just constantly show him that you're going to turn in, which he does all the time. Because at that point, you remove half of the problems that that defender is facing. You know he's never going to go down the right. So all you're doing then, it doesn't matter. It's never a question about anticipating which side he's going to go because he's made that for you. And it's just a question of timing. I know you're going on your left and it's just when I'm going to do it. So if I know I'm going there, it makes the defender's job that much more easy. And I think that at this stage, you know, I think a lot of fans will understandably be just pulling up the ladder on Pepe now and saying it's not worked out. You're never going to get there. But one of the things, giving him some pragmatic advice, he has to offer a threat on his right foot or he... It's just far too easy to play against, and he's never going to be, you know, uh, bear any uh, level of success at Arsenal. A guy called uh, Hambo Gumble says <laughs> Pepe is almost an emasculated version of Arjun Robin. <laughs> I like that comment; it's very funny. I yeah, I, I uh, Depmian 
who comes on the podcast sometimes, he's uh, he's percussionist for uh, Jonas Brothers, and he I was sneaking lessons with him, and he was he's like you have to have a strong left hand, you can't just be dominant with the right. So he's like just sit and just tap with your with your left hand. You've got to build power in it, otherwise you can't be a a complete amateur. You know the complete of an amateur drummer, and it's amazing to me that you can make it to the highest level in professional football without exploring whether you use the opposite foot. I don't understand why everybody doesn't have the mentality of Santi Gazzola. Uh, you know, it's, it's not, it, you grow up with people saying that you need to learn to use both feet. So it, it feels like a really weird thing not to coach with players. And it was quite striking watching Tomiyasu and Tavares uh, against Aston Villa both um, hitting switches with the weaker foot. It's a talent. It's bold switching the ball with your weaker foot across the pitch, and that's. I think that that's the that's the level of uh, of scouting that we've now got in the system where Arteta and Edu and all of the analysts are thinking about those things and how important they are. Because Nicolas Pepe, I'm sure if he had, if he had, if his other foot was as strong as the um, as his left. He'd be deadly, wouldn't he? He'd be like he would be more like a a, a Carnu esque style player. But oh, better than that, better than that. Yeah. He, he, he strikes he a mean up, dead ball, and he can move at pace and hit yep. a, hit a mean dead uh, hit a mean ball at pace, like it, while he's running. Such a difficult technique to master. Exactly, and and you know this is not me downplaying Carnu as well. I loved Carnu; he, he was immense. But there were limitations in in built in his game. As awesome as he was technically, he was never the fastest. I do think he was a very very good player. But um, I think Pepe's potential, this is why he's so frustrating, is to be a, you know a fantastic player. And like you said, if, if he could bend one left foot, right foot in the top corner either way, constantly causing trouble. He he would be unplayable. You talk about an unplayable player. This would be it. But he is far too easy to play against. And ultimately, I don't think you can have a guy like that because before before long, whenever you kick off, once the defender gets comfortable knowing what you're going to do, he he just becomes like dead weight for the team. He's not. He just doesn't do enough. And um, there are certainly better options that we're seeing at the moment. Yeah, I agree. And at least you know that's the other good thing about this season that we're finding with the added bit of squad depth that we've got. It's not a disaster if Pepe isn't in good form this season. It's just not. It's not a disaster when Kieran Tierney picks up a knock. You know, there, there are. it's not a disaster when Granite Jacker is out for three months. I mean, it's not great, but Sambi Laconga has come in and looked a player. And I'm just glad that the, the talent coming through the ranks uh, is more appropriate and, you know, give this squad 18 months, you've got people genuinely competing across every area of the pitch. Also, like a big shout out to Salah, our, uh, our, our young kid from Feyenoord who made the bench this evening. He's been blowing up on youth Arsenal Twitter with some fancy footwork and some exciting goals. I think he's been playing for the under-23s, but apparently he's uh, an absolute beast in training, works harder than anyone and he's delivering on the pitch, so it was nice. I think Charlie Patino got injured before the game, so must have been an exciting experience. You know, he came. He came on. You remember last season there were a batch of like under twenty threes that we signed. 
Yeah, a yeah. whole batch of them. He was part of that batch. So it's nice to see they weren't just filler players. Some of them are actually um some of them are actually potentially going to be useful to the team moving forward. So exciting to see that there's another prospect coming through. And also there was a, a study that came out that said Arsenal create more professionals as an academy than any other club in the Premier League. And I think that that is a, a point of pride. Arsene Wenger used to say that back in the day in the 2008. He said, I give more careers to anyone. And it seems like we're reliving that now. Yeah, top four trophies and uh, most careers. <laughs> best, imp- <laughs> best young employer. I, you know, it, 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 I'm, I'm jesting, to be fair. Uh, it is good. It is good to have a club that is propped up by a successful and consistent academy. Um, and there are players that I'm excited about. I think Aziz is still a, a player that I'm desperate to see more of. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean- at... Having a good more, loan at Paul, uh, uh, is he having Paul's a good Murphy. loan? He is having Paul's a good Murphy. loan there, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, to be honest, I I had heard a, a game of his a couple of a couple of games ago, and it was a good performance. But Magic. he he um we know again that when we talk about young players going out being able to make their mistakes, ideal. That was a smart move for him. Get some game time, um, and you know come back ready to keep knocking on the door about trying to progress into this team. I think. He has is another one with all of the um, attributes to, to to break into this uh, first team squad, I think. But um, <clears throat> you know what? Th- this kind of just props up the overall conversation that we're having about how well at this current juncture it looks like our transfer business was in the summer. Because one of the biggest issues around Arteta last year was the signing of a Willian. Like you know. Because I can't, I couldn't give this guy any slack when he's putting in shit performance after shit performance, and you know, or, or you're dropping him out of the team, rightfully so. But then you've got no one to bring on off the bench because he's the guy on the bench. Because I'm like, yeah, but you signed him, you know what I mean? And that has to go against you. So, you know, credit where credit's due. The signings that have come in have all shown themselves to be capable of uh, not only starting in this first. Uh, in the in the first team, but having a real impact. So, yeah. um, you know, the, the the fact is, is the transfer strategy was a big st- step forward, and and for Arteta's role in it, he he deserves some praise. But it's just nice to have, you know, like you say, some competition for places. The likes of Nuno Tavares coming in and looking like he's a breath of fresh air at the moment. That's that's great, and it's encouraging for fans to see that kind of um, level of competition because otherwise. We've just felt so beholden to these failing stars, the likes of Granite Jackers in the past, who you just, even after shit performances, you know, you're like, he'll be starting next week. Just wait and see, guarantee it, because there's no one else. You know what I mean? Or, oh, Kieran Tierney's out. Come on then, Callum. Let's have you run around for three games, looking good for one game, maybe score. And then it's followed up by a couple of garbage performances, and we're back in that cycle. So it was so important to get that transfer window right. And at the moment, at least, all things are looking really positive when it comes to the players that we signed. And competition breeds competition. I don't know whether you noticed a couple of things that I thought were mildly amusing tonight. Burnt Leno dropped a daisy cutter right through the middle. Broke the lines. Low daisy cutter. I was like, I wonder where you picked that up from. But, <laughs> but fantastic. You know, like if he's like, well, I've got to be more aggressive with my passing if I want to get back into the side. That is exactly the mentality that we need. And I also, I know I mentioned it a little bit earlier, 
I love Rob Holding. I, I do love Rob Holding. I think he's a, a very uh, capable defender. He just doesn't have that passing range. But he went on a Ben White. He, he went on a Ben yeah. White run. He was like, well, if this is if this is what it takes to get back into the side, if this is what it takes for me to be here next season, I've got yeah. to start doing these things. So it's um, you know, we're, humans like to learn and they like to develop, and it's nice to see that some of that, a little bit of it, is filtering through in the other players. All right, Johnny, I know that it is incredibly late um, in the UK, and uh, I know that you've probably got to go to bed. So. Thank you for joining the show. Johnny, where can people catch you outside of this podcast? Um, you can get me at I, Johnny Cochran on all my socials, guys. Um, as I say, always nice um, for people to join the little family on Twitter. We'll have chats about Arsenal and occasionally I joke about other things. So, yeah, follow me on my socials at I, Johnny Cochran. Magic. And we want to thank everybody that tuned into the live feed We've got a lot of people in the room tonight, considering how late it is. So thank you to all the people that uh, that write those comments as we go. Everybody's so kind and, and generous with the things they say and informative and sometimes quite hilarious. Uh, so thank you for, for listening in. And if you are tuning into this via iTunes, go and leave us a five-star rating. You know that it makes me happy. Uh, say something nice about Johnny. You know that he reads it religiously. Send, <laughs> sends the bad stuff to me. Try and get me to speak to uh, Apple to change it, but I won't. And on that note, we'll be back. Johnny, are you going to be back on the whistle this weekend for the earlier game against Leicester? Just try and stop me. Oh, I'm <laughs> you know chomping at the bit for that one. And Matt's back, so it's going to be a full house. Thank you for listening. Ciao for now. Hi, I'm comedian Johnny Cochran. Now, last year, my life was turned upside down when I became a first-time dad. Yeah, and I'm sitting there thinking, mm, this is a little bit crazy right now. How am I going to get through all of the challenges in front of me? One of the things I thought I'd do was set up a podcast talking to other fathers about their experiences. Fathers like Russell Kane. No one, no one's man is trying to suggest that what a man does is 1% of the ravages of a female's body being overtaken by its alien host. And Carl Donnelly. This is the admin bit where I'm sort of, you know, obsessing about prams and stuff like that. Oh, you've got to get a good set of wheels. I bought a vintage uh, 1960s Marmet pram. Which is so inconvenient, and it's never. We're only. It, it can't go any further than like the local park. And Doc Brown. When here is complaining about money and how expensive it is to have kids and whatnot, they're like, "Well, you shouldn't have had us." <laughs> it's like it's your fault, and it's like, I mean, I turn around and it costs me three hundred quid. <laughs> kids are so expensive. So you can listen to those guys and more in the How's Your Father podcast. Get it wherever you get your podcasts. Seven iconic housewives from four different cities. Look at this water. We're going to give them something to talk about. Vacation at Turks and Caicos. The party now. The Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip. All episodes streaming now, only on Peacock. Sports Social Podcast Network.